<laughs> Hello and welcome to the 108 podcast. I'm Amanda. <laughs> and I'm Raquel. We're laughing because <laughs> we just tried to do this. Nothing's working this morning. We're having a lot of technical difficulties. But anyways, we're stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. Please do. Wow. Please remember, type one together does not give medical advice. <laughs> We're such a mess, Amanda. We are only sharing from personal experience. I am so sorry, everyone. We are going to get an intro recorded like we have to in the next couple of months. It has to be a priority. So there's no more of this nonsense. People, why are people listening to us? I do not understand. <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't How know. How are you? <laughs> I'm laughing, obviously. This is so silly. I also like just had this weird sudden um like need to hang out with everyone. <laughs> everyone what? who listens. Like all of our all of our fellow type one parents and all the like amazing people in the community, as you just said. Why do people listen to us? I'm like, because we laugh and we joke. We don't take ourselves too seriously and I hope, Hopefully yeah. people think we're nice because I try to be nice. <laughs> so then we are nice. My, and so then my brain was just thinking like it would be so fun to go hang out with the the whole crew of everyone. Everyone. <laughs> like, every yeah. single person. Yeah. I agree. And we're gonna be doing that later this year, I hope. Uh yeah. in various ways. Stay tuned. Yes. Agreed. <sighs> well How are you? I am good, question mark. <laughs> um, <laughs> so today we're going to talk a little bit about our mental health currently, and it's kind of ironic because this morning, like I've really been making an effort to start my day in a happy, positive way, like get some steps in in the morning with my dog, make coffee, make breakfast, kind of have like a slower morning so that I'm like feeling good to dive into work. But this morning, like I had an issue making my coffee. My coffee maker wasn't working. I spent like 30 minutes trying and wasting so many different coffee beans. I kept grinding more coffee <laughs> trying to get it to work. And then Amanda and I got on and we had to like create this resource for our uh, group coaching program that starts tomorrow. We're having so many issues with yes. formatting a stupid document. And then we got on the podcast and already had technical issues. So Basically, it just feels like the world is testing me a little bit, but I'm going to choose to remain positive. I'm happy to be on here with you. <laughs> I really am. It's like, okay, well, this is just how it's going. I just I'm going to surrender to it at this point. Yeah. But overall, I love the fact that I get to just wake up and do this with you and with our whole community every day. So overall, I am good. But wow, what a morning. What about you? What, yeah, <laughs> what a morning is right. Um, in a similar fashion you and I are very very synced up and so we haven't discussed this but I don't know maybe it's just like a worldwide new year phenomenon thing too and we're not that special but I am in a headspace right now of really wanting to like wake up before my kids and just like get myself ready feel good and be prepared to take on the chaos of parenthood and of course, I'm like feeling more and more ready and refreshed to wake up and get started at like 5.45 or 6 a.m., which is not usual for me. I hate that. Like I am a sleep in until the seven o'clock hour if I can manage it kind of person. Um, and anyway, 
this morning I woke up at 5.55. I let myself lay in bed till 6. I got up at like right after 6. My husband brought me a coffee. He went out and did a backyard workout. And I like to drink my coffee in the shower. And <laughs> I, I did made, not know this. I know. Wait, how does that work? <laughs> because like I just I just stand with the shower against my back while I drink from my mug. That you sounds know, actually incredible. It's so good. It's so good. It's like you're Gotta still try. warm in the shower and then you're like slowly waking up. It's the best. Anyway, so I have one sip of coffee and the bathroom door slowly opens and I just think to myself, that's not Danny. That's a kid. <laughs> that's one of our children. And it was freaking summer and she had so much sleep in her eyes and she's got her like scruffy hair all in her face and she goes, good morning, mom. Is it daytime? Oh. <laughs> you can't even be mad. Come on. No, I couldn't be mad. Oh. And then she's like, I take a shower with you, mom. Oh, so she just got in and played with all her toys and stuff. And But I'm just like laughing to myself. Like, of course, the morning that I'm like, I feel refreshed. I got enough sleep. I'm ready. I'm going to get up an hour before my kids. Mm-hmm. I get literally two full minutes to myself isn't that a thing with parenthood like whenever you set your alarm earlier your kids just end up getting up earlier too yeah (laughs) it's that it's everything it's like they'll be silent and like playing so peacefully by themselves and I'm like oh my gosh this is the perfect time to like call our tax person and have a really (laughs) important conversation with lots of sensitive information and it's like they hear the ring from the other side of the room and they're like, mom, ah, ah, so much screaming. It's just a mess. Um, that makes me sound like I'm not grateful. I'm very grateful for my children. They're wonderful human beings, but both things can be true. I can be grateful and annoyed at the same time. <laughs> yes. A thousand percent. Um, yeah. So I just realized we hadn't done like a mental health check-in of where we're currently at in a while other than you know us doing our mental health Mondays which I have to be honest I've been struggling with Amanda knows this there's a lot of times where I'm like I just don't know what to say because I feel like my mental health around diabetes has actually been fine like it's kind of been neutral lately I've had moments of being annoyed but it's just like okay I've been doing this a while like I just do it a lot of the times which doesn't always resonate with people and I never want to come across as like oh, it's just fine because like it's not like it still sucks, you know, but I also it's not in me to like also just come on and just completely complain if I'm not genuinely feeling that that week, I guess. Maybe it's that we do it on Monday. So I feel more rested after the weekend. That could be it too. (laughs) If we did it on like a Thursday, I might be like, oh, I'm so over this crap. But just with life in general, I've realized that I've been feeling super stressed out. And I kind of have liked being in that state of stress and like adrenaline pumping. Like I love working on the business, getting up, working, working nighttime, sometimes working weekends. Like I genuinely love it, but I can feel in my body that it's not super healthy (laughs) and I get a little obsessive and in like an excited way. But I think it's starting to impact my health in certain ways. And I've kind of known this deep down for a while and I haven't taken a deeper look at it. And so I'm trying to be really intentional about moving forward in like a calm way. Like I want to have calmness throughout my day. Like I'm even trying to meditate, which I've always 
been into all the different wellness things except for meditation because I just cannot get myself to sit still. Like it is uncomfortable for me to sit still. And I think that's also <laughs> the world we're in with like social media and like I'm always on my phone for work and then sometimes after work just scrolling or watching something. I don't know. It's just you're always so overstimulated. So sorry, I know that was a lot, but basically I'm making myself do these things to slow down. I'm making myself stop working at certain times, get outside throughout the day, like take breaks throughout the day. Even when I feel like, no, I have way too much to do, I cannot stop. The thing is that with a business, you like there's always more to do. There is never going to be a time where you're like, okay, I'm done. Never, ever. And that's a really hard truth for me to like understand and admit to. And so I don't know. This all comes back to diabetes because I think I – pushed down a lot of feelings about diabetes, about other stresses in my life um, because I just focus on the things I love, like whether that's hanging out with friends or whatever's going on in that moment or the business. (laughs) So the other day I started doing meditation for the first time and I also have been trying to stretch more. I used to stretch a lot as a dancer growing up, but I haven't really been doing that since I stopped. And so I took 10 minutes in the middle of a work day. It was right after I ate lunch. I shared about this on Instagram too. I was like 156 straight up. I ate sort of a carbier lunch and I stretched for 10 minutes and then I meditated for five minutes and I started at 156 straight up. And at the end of it, I was 154 sideways arrow. So weird. I was like, okay, that is not a coincidence. Like I know there's a lot of science behind this, but taking time to slow down and de-stress really does help your blood sugars. And it's just such a great reminder to myself and also hopefully to families because kids have emotions all over the place too, if not more so. And the stress really does catch up to your whole body. And it's kind of a beautiful thing because, well, it's a beautiful thing to be able to measure that with a CGM. That is something that I'm feeling really grateful for because when I think about managing stress and how to level if I'm actually, or not level, uh, how to measure if I'm actually managing managing it well. I couldn't figure out a way to do that. Like I was racking my brain, like how am I going to know unless I go get my cortisol levels tested? But then I'm like, wait, my CGM also gives me so much data there. Mm-hmm. Like my blood sugars will directly reflect my stress levels a lot of the time. And so it's kind of cool to have that tool every single day. Um. Okay. I don't even know where I'm going with this. I'm just like realizing that there's probably a lot with diabetes that maybe I haven't unpacked. So I'm going to be doing more journaling and stuff like that too. And then also um, just day-to-day practices. So yeah, I don't know, Amanda, how are you doing with diabetes? (laughs) (laughs) That was all over the place. (laughs) Um, I love it. And like, it's funny because I'm sitting here listening to you talk about like, stretching and taking pause and like meditating and it's I'm paying attention to my body and how it's reacting physically and I am tense and my like heart is starting to race and I can feel the anxiety like coursing through me because I can't imagine right now like truly relaxing and just thinking about nothing. I think that this this conversation can go in a trillion different directions and go on forever, but mainly to keep it like more in line with having a diabetic child and everything and diabetes in general. I am very uncomfortable with the thought of attempting to find a place where no thoughts are happening. Yeah. And that is because 
I have convinced myself that my brain has to be constantly thinking in mm-hmm. order to keep my child alive. And that's true to a point, <laughs> which is well, really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think it is. And that is also part of my problem, I think, is that I always have to be thinking about diabetes and a million other things. And I have had to since I was so young. So it feels imp- impossible to turn my brain off. So I don't think that's that's not true. Like, it is true <laughs> for both of us. Yeah, yeah, it is true, but it's also just like a, I don't know, this is, it's definitely a female thing and that's not to be like, uh, male, female, let's start a fight. It's not about that at all. It's like a scientifically proven thing that women tend to be constantly thinking, like we have chatter in our brain. It is always like, what can I do next? I mean, there's a million and one memes And I know that like any of the moms who are listening to this can relate to this where you're thinking to yourself, okay, I'm walking down the hallway to go do dishes. Oh, I see the dirty clothes from the kids playing outside. I should probably start laundry first so that laundry is actually being washed while I do dishes. But then like I can't do all these dishes. I need to go through the rooms to get the like, you know, dirty cups and, and this room is disgusting and that's a cockroach or whatever and it's like if that is our baseline state of being then you add diabetes and managing your child's diabetes into it like how do you get to a place where your body feels calm where your nervous system is regulated and not dysregulated it's incredibly challenging. It's like I I talk about my the medication I'm on all the time and I'm very open about that, but like the reality is it has brought me to a baseline where I can function like the rest of society functions, meaning I'm calm enough to go grocery shopping and go get clothes when my kids need them and like make phone calls, but that does not mean that I'm just like ah, life is amazing yeah. and everything's con- you know so yeah. i think overall i'm happy and like my mental health is good but when i think about being forced to do nothing and to like actually quiet my brain i it makes me anxious literally just thinking about that because yeah. of how much effort would go into doing nothing and thinking nothing <laughs> I can't relate to that more. It makes me so anxious. <laughs> and I don't think that I'm, well, I don't really believe that it's possible to get my mind to the state of not having thoughts. And I've been trying to, I've only done five minutes a day, but that's even been really hard for me. Um, but in that five minutes, I've been trying to be very non judgmental about it and just let my mind go where it's going. But then I find that my mind has been able to think more on like one thought at a time versus when I'm walking around or when I'm sitting at my desk. I have those ADD or I'm sure I have something that's undiagnosed there. Those moments where I'm like, okay, well, what's my blood sugar? Okay, well, I should give more. But then this person's calling me. I need to reply to that text. And then I need to get this email answer. I need to post this story. Like Mm -hmm. there's 5,000 things going on in my brain. I can't imagine adding a kid on top of that. But then sometimes like my diabetes is making me not feel good. So I'm like not feeling great. And I'm trying to do all of those things. And it feels impossible. And so that's kind of actually why I'm forcing myself to do it because 
I've convinced myself year after year after year, you're just never going to be that person. You're never going to be able to slow down. You're never going to be able to meditate. And I'm like, the only way is if I commit, if I like wholeheartedly commit to doing, I'm not saying you should do this, but this is what I'm having to tell myself. Like, even if it's like, I can't sit still, I'll just do like a walking meditation or something like that. But it's really, really hard. And I don't, if I'm being so honest, I don't really believe that I will be able to calm down, but I think I'm going to surprise myself if I just keep going with it. Yeah, you know? I agree with that. It's it's actually interesting. I <laughs> recently, I don't know why I'm just now making this connection, but you know, I got my I got LASIK eye surgery in December and obviously like I I didn't go fully under or anything. They, they don't do that, but um when I got home I took whatever medication they gave me and the goal is just to like fall asleep. Like the best way you can heal your eyes after that surgery is just sleep. And I slept for like 18 hours basically almost straight through. And it was the most freeing thing. Like recovering from eye surgery was the best break I've ever had since becoming a mother certainly and even before then and like last year I got my wisdom teeth out same thing it was like I the the ability to like sleep so soundly and know that like I can't get up I'm loopy I'm in severe pain I'm not allowed to is what forced me to finally be like I it's okay that I'm taking this amount of rest you know can you nap and normally? Because I can't. Sorry. No, 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 no. Um, yes, I can nap, but not every day. It has to be a day where I'm like exceptionally tired. But it's not It's not a nap that I wake up and I'm like restored. You know, I typically yeah. can only fall asleep when I am completely emptied. Basically. Yeah, because otherwise I feel like my mind's too busy and I can't fall asleep unless I'm recovering like when I had COVID or when I also got my wisdom teeth removed. I had a similar experience yeah. where I was like, whoa, I actually rested for a long time. I've never done that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, it's interesting and sad. And I don't know my the other thing that my brain like thinks in this moment is I'll start to like work through that and think to myself like, why is that? what can I do to fix it, whatever. And then it all comes back to, well, shit, at some point my kid will take on all of her cares and all of this complaining that I'm doing about like diabetes being so tiring and kind of all consuming won't actually be mine. Like I could technically turn it off and then that just makes me feel like the worst mom in the world and I don't need you to say no you're not you know whatever it just it just is what it is like there's nothing I can do about the fact and the reality that like Mm -hmm. this disease is hers and this level of exhaustion that I feel eventually will be taken away from me and it'll never not be hers and that is hard for me to swallow (laughs) yeah well I think I've said this before, but like as a child of a mom who is very concerned and aware and still wants to take the best care of me possible, like I get more frustrated when she can't let it, uh, when it's hard for her to just let it 
be mine, but not because I don't want her to help me. Like, I, I love that. Like, I love when she checks in on me and stuff like that. I don't mind that. It's more that, like, I want her to have her life and I want her to, like, she did it for so long. I want her to feel like she doesn't have to anymore, you know? Yeah. So hopefully that doesn't make either side better. But just, like, if there's a lot of guilt coming from parents, it's like I feel like they're will maybe eventually be guilt from your child of yeah. like, oh, well, I don't want them to feel like they have to do this anymore either. Right. Um, yeah. But it's do you so have cool. any ways now that you do de-stress that you find work for you if it's not stillness and that might not even be possible with your current yeah. life and everything? It's definitely not stillness. Um, still, stillness provides or it feeds into my anxiety for sure. So um, one thing that I I don't do enough, but I love is just walking my neighborhood, like mm-hmm. putting my headphones in and just going on a long walk, like giving myself a full hour to meander. Yeah. Um, earlier in my life, whenever I would do something like that, I would feel like I had to run because it was like, while I'm outside, now it's time to exercise. Like you have to use this time to be like productive. And again, the older I'm getting and the more that like the discussion of mental health has really opened up and hopefully is becoming less and less taboo. Like I'm recognizing how healing and positive a simple walk in a neighborhood is for me. So that is something I will do, but I honestly need to work really hard on letting myself do that a lot more and asking for it more because I typically only ask for that when I am at my wits end and I need to (laughs) prioritize it as um, just something that I, that is part of my routine where it's like the whole, the whole like uh, verbiage of asking for it quote unquote, needs to go away. It needs to just be like part of part of mom's routine. Mom goes on a walk, you know? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Walking uh, is amazing. It's so good for your body too. And it's so great for your blood sugars, <laughs> even if you're not type one, you know, like even yeah. if anyone eats a meal and goes for a walk after, um, yeah. hopefully, well, yeah, i I'm thankful for my dogs with that because they kind of make me feel guilty if I don't walk them. (laughs) But I want to just go on longer walks and be outside more and get more vitamin D and all of that. Um, That's a really great one. But you prefer, I guess it's hard to walk with little ones. That's not quite a true walk. No, I used to, no, yeah, I used to go on a lot of neighborhood walks with them in the stroller. And now Hattie is past the weight limit for the stroller. And she will not walk as long as I want to walk. And um, if I bring the stroller for summer, summer's too little to walk a full mile or whatever. So I would need to bring the stroller for the two-year-old. And just having the stroller there would create a fight between the two-year-old and the four-year-old. Hattie would be pissed that she doesn't get to ride in the stroller. She would try and like step all over it. She would try and push it. She would roll it down the hill. Like it's just not, it's a headache. It's not even worth it anymore. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I sound very like woe is me about no, <laughs> taking no, no, no. my kids that's on real. a stroller walk, but that's just, I don't know. It is what it yeah. is. Um, uh, the other thing 
I was thinking about with all of this that kind of sparked me wanting to calm my nervous system is when I went to a doctor's appointment recently. I can't remember if I already talked about this on the podcast, but I had really high blood pressure when I was there. And that has been a common thing throughout my life where I go to the doctor and I have white coat syndrome and I have really high blood pressure and then they're really concerned because I have diabetes and you know, you're automatically at risk for everything under the sun, it feels like. And they told me at this appointment, like, you should really start taking it at home. Like, you should not have this high blood pressure for your age. And I've been taking it at home and it's literally like even under the number that they suggested that I be at. So it's 100% my nerves from being at the doctor. But that made me think a lot about why do I have that? And it 99% probably has to do with the fact that I was diagnosed at a really young age and I had a really terrible relationship with going to the doctor endo. Um, And I wish I remember more about what that was like, but I think it's important just to mention because like my family was always so encouraging and never harsh around, you need to do better, you need to do that, like nothing like that. But I do remember my endo saying certain things to me whether it was just my A1C being high or whatever that I think like has stuck with me in my core, like even subconsciously. So I don't know. I've heard from so many people, lots of horrible things that endos have said to them as kids or adults. And I just want to say to those parents out there listening, like if you witness any of that and you disagree with the doctor, because sometimes doctors don't understand the full context of what's actually going on inside your life, like not that they're intentionally trying to hurt you, um, maybe have a conversation with your child after. And it's very yeah. possible my family did. I don't remember all of this really well, but just kind of like explaining that maybe like they don't have the whole picture, like this isn't true or I don't know. Like, I don't know what could have helped, but um, yeah. Okay. It's so interesting that you bring all of that up, Raquel, because we recently had um, an appointment with our endo, just, you know, typical three-month checkup. And I've noticed it's not just her because every every other um, time we see a nurse practitioner, um, but I've noticed at every appointment, they bring up her height and weight in BMI. Yeah, And I think that that's, it, clearly it's something that like they, it's part of like what they're supposed to bring up, but it makes me very uncomfortable to be honest that they're already discussing BMI for a four-year-old girl and she doesn't understand any of that yet and we don't use like terminology like fat or skinny at home and it's just like healthy strong not health not the healthiest option not even not healthy you know but this is something that like I thought to myself after our last appointment I'm eventually going to have to kind of put my foot down and be like, we don't need to know, or like, you don't need to say it out loud. Or if it's something you're concerned about, talk to me privately or send me a message about it. Because like, I, I just don't like this hyper fixation on a four-year-old's height and weight who's actively growing. I understand if a very young child is actually clinically obese and it is a true health circumstance that's like very scary. But if it's a growing girl who is in a period of only wanting mac and cheese like every other toddler goes through, 
we don't need to have like this weird like discussion with like subtle cryptic undertones for a four-year-old right and so like that discussion happened and I was just like okay cool and then there was also a discussion of like the amount of insulin that she's using and how like the amount of insulin she goes it's on the lower end so that's good and again there is no malintent I love our endocrinologist I really do I like her quite a bit but it's like she does not have type 1 diabetes herself and she studies it and she approaches it from a very very black and white perspective which there's there's a place for in the world. There is a place for black and white medical care because that's how like you save a life, right? Yeah. But ultimately when you're dealing with like these young children, especially a young female, but all young children, like discussing the amount she's using and then using the term good is mm. harmful because what if yes she happens to need a lot more insulin at our next checkup. And then Hattie has heard she's using, you know, a lower amount of insulin. That's good. And then the next checkup, oh, her insulin needs have gone up. Let's reel it back. Or why is that or whatever? Even at four, five, six years old, they're going to start to understand you said good before and now you're not saying good again. So now yes. you, you're saying more insulin, but you didn't say good. So that's bad. So now we're creating like subtle mental health cracks, right? Surrounding diabetes for a very young child. And I don't know, it's all just <sighs> mental health and diabetes really, I think, is a new, newer concept surrounding diabetic mm -hmm. management. And it it needs to be intertwined, but it, it's definitely not going to happen overnight where you just like dive head first into like treating diabetes, e like equal parts, health, like physical body health and mental health. But yeah, I don't know. The other, the other no, thing she said, point. Yeah. she, I, she, we got our A1C. It was great. And our time and range is amazing. And like, I know it's good, right? I, I'm yeah. really comfortable with where we're at. And at the end, she goes, she, after saying great A1C, amazing time and range, she goes, but man, you have a lot of variability during the day. And I, I kind of was just like laughing, like, did you have to say, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I just said, yes, we do have a lot of variability day during the day she's a four-year-old so that means that when I fully pre-dose her for something she's asked for she takes one bite and then I'm chasing lows and that also means that when I think oh there's no way she's going to eat this whole meal and I give her only half the dose because I'm scared about all the lows that she's going to eat the entire thing and then ask for more in under two minutes so then I'm chasing skyrocketing highs she's four that's our life but I refuse yeah. to change my management because this is how she gets to live like as normal of a life as possible as a four-year-old and the, the endo kind of like laughs she's like ah oh, yes classic and it wasn't there wasn't any like tension or anything but it was just a a reminder to me that like you as the endo are very smart 
you have so much more knowledge than I could ever possibly have with all of your med school training and whatever. And that's so respectful. You do not have a type 1 diabetic child who is diagnosed as a toddler. Yeah. And, and you're not going up to 400 every day. Like this is not the kind of variability that really needs to be talking talked about like that. You know, it it feels like she just had to say something like, sorry, it makes me really frustrated <laughs> for you because I've had comments like that too. And it's like, yes, you can have a low A1C if you're having a bunch of lows and a bunch of super high highs, but that's not where you are. <laughs> it just, it kind of makes me laugh at this point, especially because I like her. I think that if I think if we really struggled with each other, it would get under my skin more, yeah. you know, but it, it does. It just is a time for reflection. Like I get in the car and I reflect and it immediately sits with me like, oh, no, OK, I have homework. I did do something wrong. There is there is something that isn't right here that I need to improve on. And sure, do I want our standard deviation to be lower? Of course I do. But ultimately, like that's not necessarily in the cards unless I start telling my child, no, you can't have anything that you like or want and you have to eat keto. <laughs> and I'm just, I no. personally am not willing to do that. So this is our yeah. life and this is what it is. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, <laughs> I really, that kind of stuff, like what you're talking about, the language that was used, like I wonder if that is part of what subconsciously bothered me and made me scared of doctors. And now when I go to any doctor, like I can really feel it in my body that I don't really feel safe there, mm -hmm. which is interesting. And I'm trying to dissect why that is. And if I could get to a place where I go in and maybe I don't have high blood pressure because I can tell my body like you're okay, like you're safe and have that actually happen. But I think I have a lot of trouble trusting myself and my body. I've talked about this before just because I think having type 1, at least for me, gave me a sense of not being able to trust my body as a whole because a big part of it is not working even though so much else is working. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's just a really tricky situation because number one, I think that when you're that young, Hattie's age or my age at the time I was diagnosed, like you do I did at least my personality like associate what they're saying with the kind of person I am like I felt like mm -hmm. I was doing something bad or good if they were saying that because my blood sugars were in some ways a direct reflection of what I was and wasn't doing like it's just how it is so it, it's mm -hmm. really hard to not take it as that so the language really matters and then having gone so many years learning that maybe everything I was told wasn't really true to work for me like that's not actually how I got the numbers that I now have that creates a lot of frustration and inability to trust doctors in general mm -hmm. and I'm realizing that with now that I'm getting a little bit older seeing doctors for other things it's like can I really trust you like I, I, I couldn't with diabetes you know but that, that could have just been my endo like people have amazing endos you know yeah. and I liked my endo for a lot of reasons too but anyways that's it's just all very intertwined, I think. So I'm glad that you're you're just so careful and like aware of what's being said. And I wish I could go back and like hear what was said in those doctor's appointments because yeah. maybe I'm I, this is total BS and has nothing to do with that. Maybe I was just scared <laughs> because I didn't like needles. Like who knows? But yeah. uh, either way, I think it's awesome that you're approaching it like that. 
thanks. I I asked her, I was like, can we just see you every six months? Yeah. 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 Like I'll call or ask for an extra appointment if I feel like we need the support, but I don't know. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> Last thing on this, do you think that like your mental health in general directly impacts how you're able to manage your daughter's blood sugars? Because I talked about this on Instagram too recently. Like, why is mental health not talked about in doctor's offices? Like you said, it's going to take a lot of time for that to actually happen. But if my mental health is not clear in every other aspect of my life, I am much less likely to actually take care of myself and my blood sugars. Like you just, you're, you have an empty cup. You can't do it, you know? So for parents, I think that's so true too, which is part of why we're trying to provide some support here. And hopefully we'll have some actual uh, professionals on in these fields. But yeah. How do you feel about that? Um, Yeah, it totally does. Like, I will say I have not had like an ultra depressive state um, while trying to manage Hattie's diabetes. And I certainly have not had the kind of depression that people battle where it's like you physically can't get out of bed. And so I can't speak to anything like that. Um, But on my better days when things seem lighter, when the sun is out, when it's warm, when everything's just like feels like, you know, everything's in line. Yeah. It's easier to stay on top of blood sugars. It's easier to pre-bolus and have myself get up out of the chair to go give her an extra correction as she's starting to rise. And then there are days where I'm just like, so burnt out. I'm so tired. I am sad. I feel weird. I'm missing my mother-in-law, you know, who passed away or just whatever. And then Hattie's blood sugar will rise. And I just am like, no. Yeah. (laughs) Like same, same, same. (laughs) No, you know, it's like, and never to a point where it's dangerous, but just to the point where it's like, Uh, you just went from 150 to 165. Nope. I'm laying in bed still. I'm not Mm -hmm. doing anything about that because you're going to be fine. If it went up to 350 and it was just sitting there, 350, 400, 450, and it's like, okay, something's actually wrong. You can develop ketones. Of course, I'm like pushing past my weird depression, (laughs) depressive state like Mm -hmm. and taking care of it. But a, a slight rise into the uh, like 200s is not the end of the world. Yeah. Okay. I agree. We were going to um, go through a few of the Mental Health Monday responses that we recently got. Of course, we always keep these 100% anonymous. And if you don't follow us on Instagram at type one together, we switch off each week doing a mental health Monday, just talking about where we're at that week. And we have all of you share in our stories how you're feeling about diabetes. Um, So hopefully these responses help you feel less alone. Of course, I had it open and it's gone, but (laughs) okay. So one says, so upset, beautiful numbers all weekend long, then back to school and crazy highs. Yes. 
Um, this is very challenging. I can't like speak fully, fully to this yet because we have not started public school where I'm going to have like a lot less um, control. One thing I will say is to, Raquel and I have talked about this, set realistic goals. So if you know that you are, you just have better control at home. You just do because you have access 24 seven, you can control what they're eating, what they're doing, whatever. Take the time that you're at home to exercise that level of, you know, diabetic management and get that control and surrender slightly to school sugars as long as safety is prioritized and um, make little adjustments, little tweaks, have the conversations. Like if it's truly concerning and the spike is super high and it's staying high or whatever, just it feels like none of it's making sense. Of course, do what you can to have the conversation with the nurses, the teacher, your child. But at the end of the day, like, yes, school is for six to eight hours or whatever. And that is a long time during the day. But there's not much you can do about the fact that like adrenaline's going to kick in. There's going to be random activity at different times. There's going to be birthday parties and whatever. And if you get to a place where you choose surrendering to picture perfect sugars and opening yourself up to your child participating in fun life experiences um i think it makes it makes that easier to swallow but i don't know stay tuned maybe i'm full of shit and i'll be just <laughs> as pissed as you are next year <laughs> well it goes back to your whole situational leniency idea like there's yeah. certain times where you might have to have a wider range. I really try to remind myself to control what I can control and let go of what I can't control. And if it is a pattern that you're seeing the same highs at the same time every single school day, then maybe you can talk to your doctor or make the decision to change rates during that time. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. Um, that's really hard. Um. Oh, I like this one. The hard moments don't control the amount of all the easier, happier ones to come. The That's hard right. moments don't. Can you repeat it? Don't control the amount of all the easier, happier ones to come. So right. there are so, so, so many hard moments, but that doesn't cancel out or control in any way all the good ones that will come because there's so many happy things outside of diabetes or also wins within diabetes that we'll just come with time. Like some things really just take time to click. Yeah, I agree. I fully agree. That's, um, that's a beautiful like way to think about it. It's a, a nice sentiment to, if you're in a hard place and you're having a hard day or really frustrated with sugars in this moment, kind of like this, this hard moment does not erase the beautiful ones left behind and the great ones to come. It just doesn't. Yeah. I love that. Uh, feeling frustrated. My newest diagnosed child is growing and eating everything. I can't keep up. <laughs> I feel like really this one. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so funny. It's like I can and I can't because there's like 
there's definitely definitely similar threads I think to the forever snacking toddlers and um garbage disposal teenagers you know <laughs> like definitely similar but at the end of the day it's like the amount of calories and carbs consumed is so different um yeah those days I feel like I don't have anything good or helpful to say other than just plug your ears and close your eyes and <laughs> get through it like <laughs> yeah like I, seriously there are some days where I dissociate like one of the things I feel like I've talked about this before maybe not but I have like some rage triggers where like I'll be calm, 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 totally fine. And then all of a sudden it'll just be like rage boiling up inside me. And one of those things is when it's a day where my kids, especially my T1D, is like, I'm I'm hungry. I want food. I don't like this. I don't want this. I want this. I only want this. And it's like literally I can't get through 15 minutes without some discussion of food and putting stuff in their mouth. And it's always, always, always the gummies and like the fruit and the cake and the bread like it's never I want just celery all day long mom please you know like and there will be a point where I'm like calm 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 and then my my nervous system is like on fire and I'm suddenly just like I can't do this anymore and I don't know I don't have anything for you other than yeah I don't know probably yeah yeah I guess so. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's so hard. And like, just remember, give the insulin that your body needs. So it's okay. If if they are eating a lot of carbs, give them the insulin for that. You know, like overall, that's going to keep them healthier. For sure. Okay. This one says we're okay. Last week we were 90% in range and this week 35 to 60% with like a frustrated emoji. Um, This just kind of sums up diabetes. I feel like, like it is such a like highest of highs, lowest of lows situation. I had so now that I can bolus from my phone with the T Slim, it tells you your time and range every single day, like whenever you open the app. And so I've been seeing it a lot more regularly where I used to only see it if I opened Clarity, which was not very often. And I had a day, I think it might have just been like three days ago, where I was like 40% in range. And for me, I was like, whoa, I have not seen that number in a long time. But I just had a really rough day. And then the next day I was back up. So I don't know. It just is what it is. But like it sucks that we have to do this every day, but we do get to try again every day. We do get to learn from our past experiences. And I think everyone can relate to just being a little bit all over the place with ranges. For sure. I will say that what works for me is when I see like a a tough time and range day, like one day, because on the Omnipod 5, you can look at your time and range per day, not like the two-day clarity app thing. If I see something and I'm like, geez, 60%, 60%, like that's not, I don't like that. Then I'll go into clarity and look at two weeks, yeah, one month, 90 days, and I will literally go pick whichever time and range I like the best. <laughs> and I'll just be like, ah, that's our time and range. Yes. <laughs> I got you know. <laughs> and then the opposite is true where it's like, well, what's the opposite? What was I going to say? There's like another <laughs> way to look at this. Oh, if like, if you're having 
so uh, there will be some times where I'm like, okay, we're doing really well. We're doing super well. And then suddenly our two-day timing range will go from like 95% to 87%. And I'm like, why? Why aren't you back in the 90s? Like, you know, whatever. And it's just a split second thing. And I know, like, I do try to practice what I preach of like, stay calm, everything ebbs and flows. And in that moment, then I'll go to the PDM so I can look at her 24 hour time and range. And I'll be like, oh, today sucked from that really high high or that big birthday party that we had. But yesterday and the day before and the day before that were all like, you know, our, our standard. And so I will try to do that. And then I'll try to put it away for the day and just like Mm -hmm. find the time and range that makes me feel good in that moment. And then just be like, we're, we're good. Everything's fine. I also try to look at it as a glass half full approach. Like, okay, let's say you were only 60% in range. Well, that's still 60% of the time you were in range. (laughs) You are doing diabetes. Like most people don't have to do this, you know? Yeah. Very true. That's kind of refreshing. Um, Yeah. That's just tough. It is what it is. We're all in that boat. Um, I'm looking for a good one. Uh, okay. Stressed, wishing I was able to be a stay-at-home mom to manage my daughter's type one. Oh, uh, that's hard. Um, I don't know how old your daughter is. I feel like there's a lot to that. I, um, <laughs> it's very interesting. I, 99.9% of me is the most grateful that we were in the position that we were in where I could say goodbye to my career for the time being and dive into managing diabetes full time and being home with my girls and being the one to raise them and if I was given the chance to do this again and again and again I would never not choose this but I miss being a nurse a lot. I was good at it. I really miss it. There were parts of it I really don't miss, like a lot. But dang, I loved those tiny babies. And I miss like having just a part of me um, and a, a part of my identity not be just mom or pancreas. But I think that like type one together in this outlet has helped so, so much with that. But that's for sure part of like what led to my freaking epic breakdown is because I didn't have the balance. And I, I don't know, I feel, I feel so, so, so much for those families that want to be able to stay home with their kids and just financially can't. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't know. My heart's with you, mama. I am sorry. And I wish that I had something to say that could make it all feel better, but I just don't. (laughs) Yeah. Me either. I obviously can't speak to it as much. So, um, yeah, we're just sending you love always. Yeah. Um, here's a positive one. We have come so far and she is excited to celebrate how much we have accomplished. I love (gasps) that. Yes. Yes, it is. It's kind of crazy to think about like 
I mean, every day for sure, but every month and then every year, how much you've accomplished, how much you as the parent or you as the child or you as the person living with type one has accomplished the amount of needles you endured, the amount of like insulin you've drawn up, the mental math, the gymnastics, the being kind to yourself, the like pushing through all the hard days and just the celebration of like every single day you've woken up to take on a new one. And that's so amazing. It's so amazing and it should be celebrated. It might sound confusing when we're saying like, like you don't want to frame things as good and bad all the time or whatever. And that's true. But I think there should still be a lot of celebration around the effort and the like, like everything you just said, everything that we're doing all day long to manage this as the parent and as the child, even just the social things the like things going on in our heads every day when we're meeting new people and it's just always there. So definitely celebrate. Yay. Do we have time for one or two more? How are you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling totally fine. Um, I wasn't sure if you wanted to keep going with the mental health responses you have or if you want me to pick one from mine. There's one other one I definitely want to say on here. Um, Okay, then let's do it. This is so real. Teaching my nine-year-old to advocate for herself at school and giving space to be a kid is hard. I just think it needs to be mentioned because... Yeah, with kids that like this, everyone has to go through this at some point. And you're giving your child such a gift by trying to guide them along that journey of advocating for themselves. Because even if they don't want to, at some point, you kind of have to. Like, that's like a harsh reality. But when you're going through school and then eventually if you go to college, like you are on your own and you're the only one there to tell your teachers what you need to tell them or take care of yourself when you can't be taking a test at that same moment that you're having a super bad low whatever it is and you're as a parent having to let go of control of doing all of that for your kid and letting them kind of step up and explain things how they feel comfortable explaining it yeah I don't know yeah this is one thing that I strangely don't actually um worry about with Hattie because of her personality (laughs) um A perfect example is at one of her recent gymnastics classes, a little boy was just kind of being a butthead and just pushing her and like, like taking her polka dot that she was supposed to sit on and hiding it under his. And, and I don't know, he was just like not being kind at all. And as we were, and I wasn't stepping in because I, you know, I was like, I'm letting the teacher handle it. And I want to see what Hattie does. She was, she's ready to stand up for herself. That's for sure. But as we were leaving, we passed by them and this family and Hattie yanked her hand out of my hand and stopped right in front of this little boy, hands on her hips, looks him dead in the eye. And she goes, you were pushing me so much today. You better never do that again. I will be telling the teacher to kick you out of class. If you keep doing that, don't, she goes, don't put your hands on me ever again. Hands Good, on Hattie. hips and walks away. And I was about to, cause like she said it to this little boy in front of his parents and his parents were kind of looking at me and I looked down at her and initially my, like the part of me that was raised to be like respectful and like, don't cause a scene. And like, this is, you know, whatever. I almost, went into, wait, Hattie, don't say that and apologizing for her. And I stopped myself 
And I just smiled at them. And I said, I'm so proud of you for standing up for yourself. He was being really mean to you all class. And that's yes, it. Addie. Because fuck that shit. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and it's like the, they didn't say anything. They knew their kid was in the wrong. They had to go get him out of the gymnastics class like two times because of how poorly he was yeah. behaving. And so like that makes me not worried for her standing up for herself and I continue I like think to myself all the time anytime there's an opportunity to politely educate and to just like put our foot down this is who we are this is what we need and this is why we need it and we're not taking no for an answer or we're removing ourselves from the situation um I'm going to do that mm-hmm. and clearly she's learning <laughs> from yeah I don't know no that's awesome and I hope it isn't a problem for her I think what's tough is for some kids at least for me like I felt comfortable advocating for myself in certain ways but that didn't necessarily mean I felt comfortable talking about diabetes because it Mm. felt like such an integral part of who I was in a different way like I don't know like if if you're feeling weird and there's like friends around that you're trying not it also just depends on the age and so many things yeah but I just and then there's some personalities that just have a hard time with that in general. So I I wonder um, if like there's, you know, just kindness and compassion and and talking to people people with respect goes such a long way. So I find that just like being really warm and smiling yeah first really puts people's guards down. And so like the the first thing I'm thinking of is if at any point Hattie's personality changes and she gets more uncomfortable standing up for herself or asking for what she needs related to diabetes, then I will likely have a conversation with her and be like, well, are you, let's get down to the reason, the root of the reason. Like, are you uncomfortable? Cause you just don't want to make a scene. You don't want to be different. You don't want your friends asking you questions. Okay. I'm not going to force you past that. So Instead, I'm going to email your teacher. Maybe we'll like have a conversation. I'll talk to your teacher about it. I'll talk to the principal about it. And we'll find different ways to like manage this better silently and in the background in respect yeah. to like w- just to respect the boundary that you're putting up. Because, you know, at some point, they, of course, there are certain points throughout a child's life where they put up a boundary and it's like, I'm sorry, too bad. We have to push past it. But if yeah. There are boundaries they put up that can technically be respected, even if it's a little more work for you or a little more work for the teacher. They're still yeah. a freaking human being. And so you right. have to meet that boundary. Yeah. Snap. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Oh, sorry. Um, no. Yeah. The other half of it was giving space to be a kid is hard. And I also wonder if that goes into more social situations because I agree what you're saying is totally doable in school situations doing it silently in the background but then like the be a kid part okay I want to go have a sleepover yeah mom I'll tell them all about my diabetes but then you get there and you're like and maybe you don't want to I don't know it just gets weird especially around nine years old I feel like you start to understand when people are being judgy um yeah so it can be so hard when it's like you just don't want to be different but you got to do it anyways um yeah I don't know. No answers here from me other than good luck. Keep doing it and find what works best for your family. Did you have sleepovers with friends before we sign off? 
Yes. Um, I did when I was on injections, it was harder because there were only there were two friends that I had that I was comfortable with their parents giving me shots. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was like an actual pediatrician, so I trusted her. And then the other one was just like my best, best, best friend's mom. And so I could pretty much only sleep over at those places. And I'm pretty sure otherwise people would come over to my house. And then once I got a pump, it was just so much easier. My mom would yeah. always call and like have a conversation with the parent. Yeah. Um, but I don't think yeah, I think it was also hard for her to feel like she was putting that on other parents because other parents would be really nervous. I don't yeah. know. I'm going to go talk to her about that. I'm curious if like there were ever any parents that didn't want me to sleep over because the liability or just the nerves, you know? Right. Yeah. Interesting. All yeah. right. Do you want to do a last one or are we wrapping yeah, up? Yeah, we can it? take one from Mary. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, okay. Last one. Let's see. Um. Oh, let's talk about this one. My son's A1C um, went up four points and it's kind of bothering me. I think I don't think it's four points like from a six to a 10. I think it's like point like in the tenths place. Um, what do you have to say on A1Cs that go up? Yeah. Uh, we were talking about this recently, right? I think whenever you get a lower A1C, you get this pressure to always keep it at that number. Like, okay, I've done this once. I can do it again. And it, I remember the first time I ever got my A1C below six, I flipped out. Like I was excited for a second. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I can never go higher. Like immediately got anxious about it. And then I just realized that's not real life. Like life changes. You have different seasons in every aspect of your life, and that includes diabetes. And it is very unrealistic and unfair to yourself to expect that your A1C is always going to stay the same when your life is always changing and your life directly impacts your blood sugars like we talked about. So that's really hard to grasp, but just try to be kind to yourself and especially with kids to remember that an A1C that goes up, yeah, it might have gone up a little, but maybe they're enjoying their life more socially or they're figuring out some other things of growing up and being a kid. And that is so normal. And it's it's a give and take sometimes. You're not always going to have it all, all at once. Yeah. One thing I've forced myself to remember is we have to do this forever. <laughs> and so yeah, um, oh we're just the expectation of the lowest A1C you've ever achieved staying that number or lower is unrealistic completely. Like Mm -hmm. just in the grand scheme of things, when you zoom all the way out, that's not going to happen and that's okay. The other thing is that this, all this technology and everything, yes, it's all spot on. It's all amazing. It's all so advanced. But one thing that just happened to us we're recording this on February 7th. January 15th or something, we went and got blood work done, like from, like, you know, an actual blood draw from Hattie's arm. And we got an A1C at that point. And then we had her um, endo appointment just a few days ago. And they did a finger prick A1C again. And the A1C from the finger prick was 0.4 points higher than the finger mm, prick or just then the blood draw. Very interesting because that's not enough time to have elapsed for such a significant change in points, right? Yeah. And so even our endo was like, eh, 
I'm pretty sure whatever the January lab said is what's actually going on in her body. The other thing is the higher A1C that was just done from a finger prick last week, um, that happened while her 90-day A1C was better than it was in January. So just take it all with a grain of salt. Yes. (laughs) Literally. Even when you prick your finger with a meter, half the time I'll do it. Like I've done it before where I'll take a finger prick three times in a row and every time it's so different. It's like, what can you trust? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, But I do understand because no matter what, if we have an A1C that's not the lowest number we've ever had, my stomach immediately a tiny bit drops. And then it's a mental exercise of – why are you feeling like this? Let's reflect. This isn't a big deal. Swallow it. Don't react. This is not something you need to put on your daughter. Like, let's teach her how to just ride the waves of the A1C and the sugars. Like, just live your damn lives. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And with that, we will sign off with a bunch of your roll call. (laughs) Um, Hattie's at 81. 118. All right. Sweet. Okay. Well, it was fun. We if you guys liked this, let us know in our DMs and maybe we'll do some more coverage of mental health um Monday responses. I kind of liked doing that too. Me too. Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.